0: of a winner.
1: Well, welcome to Hashtag Thinking Forward, Graham Stoker. Now, Graham, you've been FIA Deputy President for Sport throughout Jean Todd's tenure as president, so coming up 12 years, but now you're running for president yourself. Why have you decided to stand?
2: First of all, hello, James, and hello to the audience. I have, over these last three terms with Jean, and I have to say it's been a pleasure working with him, uh i have experienced uh, so many key decisions in motorsport and got a real insight i mean by way of example been through two uh concord agreements uh, renegotiated the world rally championship we set up a new championship in formula e i mean time and time again and i want to use that experience i think motorsport has done a fabulous job during this pandemic and also Just reflecting on the FIA and our mobility side with all the uh, motoring services clubs, of course, they were uh, running during the pandemic, keeping our cars running as essential services. So there's been a great, uh, I think, a a great job done. But as we come out of this pandemic, I want to make sure that we build confidence and we get investment back. We have a steady steering out of this pandemic. And we also deal with some of these challenges that are facing us. I mean, the whole issue about drivetrains and what fields we should be using. And we switch that round into an opportunity. So that's it, James. I suppose at the heart, I want to try and make a difference. And I think I've got the skills.
1: So what do you see as the role of the FIA in modern motorsport? And how does it help the sport to grow?
2: First of all, just to explain what it is, because we're now recognised by the IOC as as the governing body of world motorsport. And there's only one, and it's us, and we have a key role to play. Not only delivering and organising safe and genuine sport, but also growing the sport, looking for talent around the world, driving some of the policy debates, reaching out to our unique industry, and all these things that a modern international federation does. And not only that, with our mobility ring, we, we actually, the, the mobility pillar reaches out to all the motoring drivers around the, the world. I mean, we're in a situation where we're operating in 145 countries, but I mean, we have so many members and really that does lead to an opportunity where we can drive through some of the thought processes and make a difference to the way policies are formulated. I mean, in due course, hopefully we'll talk about government, but I'm very interested in driving policy decisions.
1: Now, you may not be a familiar face to many motorsport fans, but behind the scenes, you've been really the driving force on the sports side of the FIA throughout, throughout this period, especially around grassroots, around women in motorsport, and particularly getting the racing restarted last year uh, after COVID. What do you think have been the main, main achievements of the last sort of decade as you see it?
2: I think what we've done in in, in the situation of COVID has been quite remarkable. I mean, delivering over 50% of the international calendar and having all the protocols in place, demonstrating we were the first sport to restart. So we should be proud of that. Looking back on what we've achieved, I think it's been a quiet revolution, really, changing it from a, a regulatory body to a modern international federation looking at things like uh, developing our clubs with uh, major programmes all around the world, supporting our clubs, making, uh, making them stronger. It's, it's our core business to organise events. That's really what this is all about, organising safe, genuine events, but also moving into other areas. I mean, inclusivity with uh, women in motorsport programmes, trying to detect talent around the world, grassroots programmes. I've been pushing uh, karting slalom, cross car. We've got Rally Star, every opportunity we can use to try and uh, find uh, new talent. And then moving on to something that really I've been very passionate about, which is social responsibility and the role we take, for instance, in delivering STEM education. And we've got huge links with the industry, even getting as far as bringing communities together to help peace in sport. So uh, that's really, I think, what we've achieved, a quiet revolution, changing it into a modern federation.
1: So, Graham, let's go back to how you got involved in motorsport in the first place. Where did you first get the bug, if you like? And how did you come to head up uh, the UK Motorsport Federation, which was then known as the RACMSA, of course, now known as Motorsport UK? H- how did that all come about?
2: Well, I know I got the bug when I was five. I was given a, a little uh, alpha racing car, and I said, never look back after that. I think um, I was reading autosport when I was 12, uh, following races, uh, I just loved following. Uh, look over my shoulder at the 956 up here. I love following Ix and Bell, going to Le Mans and the sports car championship around Europe. Um, then I started to get interested in driving. So I went to Ian Taylor at Thruxton and then saved up the money and went to the Wimfield School in uh, Magicourt in France. Uh, I recall my instructor was Clive Baker, old. Uh, uh, Healy driver from uh, Le Mans. Um, that was a serious course. I came back totally with uh, bitten by the bug. I wanted to get into driving, got into clubs. Uh, but then I, I ran up against this barrier. Um, you needed a trailer. You needed a motorhome. You needed to afford a historic car. You needed mechanics. It, it was all about money. And there was a barrier there. Frustrating. Couldn't do that as a young lawyer. So that's when I moved across into the Motorsports Association, worked my way up, James, uh, eventually becoming the first uh, permanent steward to the Touring Car Championship. I went probably over five years. Uh, I was at every round, every two weeks. Fantastic experience working uh, with that championship and then went on to become the chairman of the Motorsports Council. Bit like World Council, but in Britain. Um, and the, uh, t- the, t- the twin chairman uh, at MSA, board chairman and most sport council chairman. Um, it was then I became aware of the clubs. I mean, we had 750 clubs uh, re- represented by that council. It took me three years to visit them all. I went all around the country, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, England. And I saw the power of grassroots and that's really now become one of my big passions is to strengthen the clubs. Learned yesterday, we got 22,000 clubs worldwide, underlying our 145 countries, which is quite remarkable. We had to keep those clubs strong. That's really that, the whole basis of what we're doing. After that, I moved on to the FIA, but that's another story.
1: Many of our audience, to give us a concrete example, um, of, will remember the, the traffic nightmares that we used to have going in and out of Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. Um, and, and at one point, it was actually threatening the future of the race, as as I recall it. Can you tell us your part in saving the race?
2: Yeah, I I was at MSA. uh, I was at the event. I think I got home one o'clock in the morning. Uh, They were uh, asking, I think 50,000 fans were turned away in 2000 because of the rain. Do you remember they moved the Grand Prix to Easter and it poured? And after that, the um, World Made Sports Council put an asterisk on the British Grand Prix. We're going to lose it. So, I was asked to do a report. Uh, I got some experts in. We went down, we looked at Dafford Road, which, as I recall, Max Mosley called a goat track, but it was a small country lane. And uh, we thought we could turn it into a dual carriageway for access to the circuit. That would be a sensible thing to do. We came up with um, one of the first transport plans applying to a Grand Prix, where we had park ride uh, facilities put in place. We parked and came in by bus. Even came up with the idea of a rock concert, which actually, to tell you, is, n- is not about having fun after the Grand Prix. It's keeping the fans back so they don't all leave at the same time. And we implemented that. I dealt with the Her Majesty's government. We uh, linked it in with some of the bigger road schemes in the region. And uh, the following year, I think it was the best access British Grand Prix ever. I mean, people weren't coming in by helicopter, they were driving in. Um, And then that led to some other reports. I mean, I did the one uh, where the rally drivers at the Rally of Great Britain were caught on speeding cameras and ended up in the magistrate's court. So I went down, talked to the chief constable, uh, managed to secure an arrangement there whereby the the drivers would be champions for road safety and for the the, uh, safety camera uh, programme provided we were told where the cameras are and they should go in the road book. And you'll find now if you go to a WRC event, those cameras are now in the road book. And after that, uh, Crashgate, Spygate, I was at World Council. I did the last World Council hearing, really the old style World Council hearing, which was uh, Ferrari Team Orders. I did that uh, 2010. So I've used my skills, which I've had over a number of years as a sports arbitrator, to do these reports and these decisions
1: relations with governments obviously so crucial to a successful sport especially a sport like ours and last year was a perfect example of that in terms of being able to get grand prix teams and other racing teams cross borders etc but how do you get politicians to see the benefits of, of motorsport for wider society
2: I mean, the door's open. We're one of the major sports. I mean, one can think of football, the IOC, and and really there's us. And if you see the the, the level of the championships that we put on and the interest in it, the door is open. But once you get in, you've got to have more than the fact you're a sport. Uh, And what we can demonstrate is this remarkable industry we have with advanced engineering, contributions to exports, um, STEM jobs, uh, beyond that, of course, we, we get involved all around the world in going into countries and bringing communities together. I mean, I was inspired a few years ago in Cyprus to be uh, involved in running a rally across the demilitarized UN zone between the north of the island and the south, bringing communities together there. If you tell politicians this, if you tell them about what we're doing by way of efficient drivetrains that we're developing, battery technology, all these type of things, they will listen. And if there are jobs involved, they will listen. So that's the way to do it, James.
1: You mentioned earlier on about the World Motorsport Council. I mean, that's the body that makes all the big decisions uh, surrounding motorsport. And you've been on that for for a number of years. So how did that translate into Jean Todd putting you on his team when he ran for and won the FIA presidency? um, What, 2009, wasn't
2: it? 2009, yeah. I've met him two years before, I remember going into his motor home, Flavio Briatore was sitting there. It was just fascinating. I mean, meeting a legend like John and ending up working with him. Um, I represented the clubs. I knew the clubs. I mean, you've got to remember by that stage, I've been on the international court as a judge with the FIA. I was running the anti-doping panel. I become a Formula One steward. Uh, I was granted a super license for doing that. Done a number of reports. I knew World Council. I knew the clubs around the world, the 145 nations that we operate in. So that's what I brought to Jean's team. Those skills, I mean, Jean was acknowledged to be, I think, one of the best managers of his generation. And I brought the knowledge of the clubs, the knowledge of the FIA, and together uh, we worked together. And I'm proud to say I've been elected three times with his team, and, and really it's been such an interesting time.
1: Well, you've been uh, pushing hard, just looking forward a little bit now, you've been pushing hard on the esports and the digital motorsport side. How important do you think that is to the development of the sport um, in terms of the follower base and as a competition in its own right?
2: Well, it hasn't it become popular during lockdown. Uh, and actually, I've got a, a simulator below me, which I drive regularly. I love going around Le Mans. <laughs> um, but uh, that aside... Uh, What's remarkable is, uh, I think, uh, the accuracy of the virtual world compared to the real world in motorsport. Very few sports you can transfer those skills across. I know they're doing it in sailing. I think they're doing a great job there. Uh, And uh, some of us may have been looking at the Vendee Globe and things like that. In motorsport, it's quite remarkably accurate. Uh, And we're finding in talent detection that those youngsters who've got a background in eSport... Uh, immediately have the ability to drive lines and understand breaking points and all those type of things. Now, the other thing, of course, is what do we bring to it? Well, we bring a genuine quality to the game. If the FIA gets involved and uh, um, certifies the game, and I mean, for goodness sake, we have stewards that don't think people know this. We actually have stewards at some of the events, making sure it's fairly run in those circumstances that uh, the games have real uh, quality and um, I could just tell you the IOC has now recognized uh, our e-sport games uh, as one of the few games recognized by the Olympic Committee so that will go forward to the games in due course which is very very exciting but you know there's another thing it's accessible you can take it around the world we can take it to Africa we can take it to Asia we can take it to anywhere we can put up these uh, simulators and we can try and attract youngsters in it and get them into our sport so actually i think it's a fabulous thing and it's part of our sport and we're going to grow it i think it's going to get ever stronger
1: well finally graham this thread is called hashtag thinking forward so tell us what you think uh, the future of motorsport looks like what are the challenges and the opportunities in particular
2: Challenges used to be safety, and of course, they will continue to be uh, safety. And I think we're doing a great job there. Just reflect on the halo that was pushed through and how successful that's been. But uh, the other major issue I think now is sustainability. Uh, We've got to act to protect our sport. We've got such a great story to tell. Um, The Formula One engine at the moment, uh, over 50% efficient. No one's ever built an engine that efficient. We should be telling people about it. Formula A, look, see what we're doing there with uh, rapid charging and battery technology. Um, I think hydrogen's gonna come in. We saw that last year, didn't we, with the uh, course car at Le Mans. I think hydrogen's gonna be a big part of our future. Um, and the other thing I think that's fascinating is uh, e-fuels and the ability to capture carbon for the atmosphere and with uh, solar energy, create a synthetic fuel that we can burn in our engines. Every time we start an engine app, we'd actually be helping climate change. I mean, there are so many opportunities there. And then the whole idea of inclusivity, reaching out around the world. I mean, my experience, that difficulty I had of carrying on uh, with my driving. I want anyone with talent to get an opportunity to get into a competition vehicle, rally or race without any connections or without any family background, just through talent. I think that's a, a real goal that we should deliver on. And at the end of the day, I want to see those challenges. They're there, but I think we can meet them. I think really, actually, this is a time of opportunity. And I'd really like to be involved in it, James, in delivering some of the solutions.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you very much for taking the time, Graham. And just for the benefit of, the, of anybody watching this who doesn't know how an FIA election works, what's, what's the timetable? What happens from here and who's, who's voting?
2: Well, we're we're, uh, involved in due course in canvassing. I mean, that's done in an entirely appropriate way with our clubs. The clubs vote at the end of the year. There are going to be lists delivered to the FIA. Those lists will have the head of the list, me, with other uh, people with me. That's my leadership team and then vice presidents. Uh, And then the clubs will vote later on in the year in Paris. And uh, we will see the result. It's very exciting. Um, It doesn't happen very often. And uh, I'm delighted to be a candidate uh, at this exciting time.
1: Well, thank you again for taking the time and the very best of luck with your campaign.
0: Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options, GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash Smith School. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.